So we are winding down. Next week will be our last week in our summer series on the attributes of God. This morning we're going to be talking about the love and the grace of God. And some of you know that we may have saved the best for last. And so we are grateful to celebrate God's love and God's grace this morning. We looked a few weeks ago at God's mercy and God's patience. And I want to distinguish a little bit between His love and His grace and His mercy and His patience. They're both aspects of God's love. Both mercy and grace are. Um, God's love is demonstrated both in His mercy and His grace towards sinners. Love and grace have always been primary attributes of God. If you read the Old Testament throughout the history of Israel, God revealed Himself as a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And there is overlap between the concepts of God's mercy and His grace. They do have broad meanings. But this morning I want to distinguish between mercy and grace in this way. Mercy is God's kindness. Grace is God's favor. Mercy is God withholding His judgment. Grace is God giving His blessing. Mercy is it's God's love for all people. Whereas grace is His particular love for His elect children. God's mercy is manifest over all people as He patiently patiently withholds judgment, allows creation to go on to continue to experience His goodness and His kindness in life on earth. God's grace is only manifest in His elect sons and daughters as He freely gives them what they don't deserve. What have we received? We've received the outpouring of forgiveness, the outpouring of our Father's love, and eternal life beginning now and going on for infinity. See, this is the difference between God's general love as creator and his special love, his particular love as redeemer. God as creator, God as redeemer. As creator, God loves and is merciful to all people generally. But as redeemer, God has special love, God has special grace for his sons and daughters that belong to him. So Pastor Matt has helped me understand it this way, and he says, and I'll say it for myself, I love all the children of living hope. I mean, every single child here, if I could do something for them, if I could pray for them, if they fall down, I'm going to come to them, I'm going to comfort them, I'm going to encourage them. But there are four children at Living Hope that I love in a unique and special and particular way. Right? My own children have a special place in my heart. I don't love them the same as I love the other children at Living Hope. They are, were born to me, they live with me. And my love for them, you could say, is far more profound, comprehensive, it, it, it's, a, it's more deep, it's, it's lasting, it's more impacting. And I believe that this is true for God's children as well, those who are born again by His Holy Spirit, those who live with Him now and will live with Him for all of eternity. And so this morning, as we, as we hone in on the attribute of God's love and His grace, we are talking primarily about His saving grace, His redeeming love towards His children. Those that he has covenant love for, believers in Christ. And so the, theologian Wayne Grudem, who we often look to for help, defines God's love as God eternally giving of himself to others for their blessing and good. What, what is God's love? It's God giving of himself for our blessing, for our good. See, God loving us is, is God giving us himself. Pastor Arthur Pink that we've been looking at this summer as well, says that God's love is uninfluenced. What that means is that God doesn't love someone because they're worthy of His love. His love is free. It's spontaneous. It's uncaused by human action or inaction. God loves because of Himself, not because of you. And I want to tell you this morning, that is a tremendous relief. 
God loves because of Himself. It is free. It is spontaneous. It is uncaused. And so we are free this morning in our mess, in our struggle, in our difficulty, in our good days, our bad days, in our triumphs and successes, in our obedience and our disobedience. God's love doesn't depend upon the kind of day that you're having. His love is uninfluenced. So I want to look this morning at, at 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7, as we, as we talk about, as we learn about the love and the grace of God. So I hope that you have a Bible. Um, I meant to bring in some extra Bibles in the back, but there's some out in the hallway. I, I would love it if you guys brought your Bibles to Living Hope. I know some of you are in the habit of, of reading the Bible on your phone. That's okay. But man, for me to, to have, have undistracted access to the, 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 the living and active Word of God. So, so bring your Bible to church. We're going to look at, at 1 John chapter 4. This fall, we're going to be jumping into 1 Thessalonians. You're going to need your Bible every week as we go verse by verse through that wonderful letter um, in the New Testament. Look, John's going to teach us this morning about the love and the grace of God. He's literally an expert on God's love. As you read through his gospel, the Apostle John describes himself in in a sort of a a, a veiled, uh, um, hidden language as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John just thinks of himself as as the, the guy that Jesus loves. Of course, he wasn't the only one that that Jesus loved, but but John knows he spent three years in the intimate presence of God, knowing the love of God. He's going to now teach us by the Holy Spirit about the love of Jesus. Unique perspective, and so we're going to read together uh, from First John chapter four, seven to thirteen, and I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. God in heaven, we worship you, we honor you, we come to you this morning in our faith and our unfaith and our obedience and our disobedience and our clarity and our confusion. And Father in heaven, we ask you for help. Send your Holy Spirit that, that your word, the living and active word of God, would pierce our hearts, would transform us, would renew our understanding of you and your love, would renew our identity in that love and would stir us to obedience and to action, would stir us to love. And so God, be present among us now as we read and as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world So that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Amen. So John begins there in verse 7. He says, Beloved friends, may we be a people that love each other because love is from God. See, God is the fount. He is the source of all true love. Now you say, wait a minute. Can't people outside of God experience some form of love? Yes. Yes, they can. There's a certain type of love that people can, can experience even even unbelieving sinners can, can give a certain type of love. This is God's common grace. God's common grace. We can experience His goodness. But love apart from God far too often is shallow. 
Apart from God, love is, is often motivated by selfishness or it's limited or that love is conditional. And so, yes, it's a hint, it's a fraction of love, but it's not true love. Because true love, as we have defined it, can only come from God because God is love. God is and always has been love. See, one of the wonderful things about understanding God as, as Trinity is that He doesn't need other creations, He doesn't need other creatures to be loving, to give love, to experience love. See, God has always existed as the three persons of the Trinity for all of eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loved each other, sought the joy and the good of one another. God has always been loving. He had an eternity of practice before He even created the first man or the first woman. And so while we can say that God is love, I want to caution us this morning from saying that love is God. Let me explain that. See, many people today would elevate the concept of love and try to give it divine status. As if loving others or allowing others to love whatever they want, that love somehow is the greatest good, the supreme concept with which we should live for. But you cannot understand love, you cannot give love Unless that concept is defined. And so to somehow elevate love as the the highest entity, we, we need to define it. And the biblical understanding of love is no mere emotion or passion or affection. And too often in the world, that's what love is boiled down to. Now, I do want to say there is emotion, there is passion, there is affection in the biblical concept of love. But it's not only that. Love is, is not also simply good-natured benevolence. And often in the culture and the world around us, love is, is simply be, be good-natured, be benevolent to those around you. Now that, again, is part of God's concept of love, a biblical understanding of love, but that's not only it. See, God defines love because He embodies love. He is the source of love. And if we take Grudem's lead and define love by saying that love is God giving of Himself, well, then you cannot have love without God. And to love others ultimately means that you're giving them God. That you are treating them according to God's nature. You see that? To be loving towards someone is, is to give them God. To treat them according to God's beautiful nature. And so, to truly love others, the love of God must be in us, must be overflowing out of us. And so God is love, but, but love is, is, not, is not God. Because you can't have love apart from Him. Verse 7 And John 4 continues and says that anyone who truly loves must be born of God and must know God. See, the only way to know God, to experience the redeeming love of God, is to be born again. That's what Jesus taught us. We must be born again. We must have a spiritual renewal, a spiritual rebirth, the dead coming to life. And so verse 8 says, look, if you're a person who doesn't love other people, Right? You don't give of yourself to others. It's not your practice and your habit to put the good of others above yourself. You're not somebody who consistently walks in kindness, who shows patience, who is merciful and gracious to the people around you. If you do not love, that's an indication that you don't know God. Because God is love. And so to know God means you're going to be transformed. Because we're talking about not just head knowledge. To know God means we know Him truly. We know Him deeply. We know Him in covenant relationship. Is the one that has called us and bought us and filled us. See, to know God is to be transformed. You can't come to know God and be unchanged. And that's true to a certain extent of any relationship, right? If you meet someone and you don't, you don't just learn facts about them, I'm not talking about a Wikipedia kind of meeting, I'm talking about an actual meeting with days and weeks of interaction, 
If you really take time to get to know someone, who they are, what they like, what they value, you will be impacted and affected to one degree or another. Isn't that true? And if not, I would say you don't truly know them. Before I met my wife, I was wearing pleated khakis. Didn't know whether there was such a thing as flat fronts. Okay? Didn't, didn't, didn't understand style. There was no such thing as style in my vocabulary or in my, my, my worldview. But as I got to know my wife and love my wife and understand her values and priorities and how she thinks about the world, I understood such a thing as style and fashion. Some of you think that I still have a long way to go, but music. I, 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 music wasn't really something that was important to me that I valued as I got to know my wife, her love for music, her, 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 her craving to, 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 to listen to, to have the backdrop of, of good quality music in the background it began to impact me. Now I, now I like to have music on. But before I met my wife, I was an extrovert of extroverts. Being alone was, was uninteresting, boring, nerve-wracking. My, my, my wife values alone time. That's something over the last 21 years that I've, I've begun to, to value, to understand. Hey, she needs to be alone. Maybe I do as well. Now look, if this is true of a human relationship, if knowing and understanding someone impacts who you are, if you are changed simply by a human relationship, how much more the eternal, sovereign, loving Creator, Father, Redeemer, the one who is all power and wisdom and holiness and love. You cannot know God, the one who is the very definition of love, the source of love, the one who embodies love. You cannot know God or claim to know God and not be loving towards others. And so we see, first of all, in this passage that God is love. He is the source of all love. You say, okay, but how do we understand this love? How do we, how do we see it? Well, secondly, we see in the passage that God's love is revealed in the sacrifice of Jesus. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says that God's love was revealed to us when God the Father sent His one and only Son into the world. And so we know Jesus was born as a human. God became flesh. He lived among us. He suffered a human life. He died on the cross. He rose again for one reason. What does the passage say? So that we could live through Him. That you and I that were destined to die on a path towards eternal death and judgment, we were living in sin, didn't know true life, we were alive, but it was, it was a frail, empty shell of a life. But Jesus came and died for us so that we could live through Him. See, verse 10 says that the Son came to earth to be the propitiation. The ESV says propitiation. The, the Christian Standard Bible, the NIV, both say the atoning sacrifice. Jesus was our atoning sacrifice to make amends for the wrongs of His people. Propitiation means that He, he was the sacrifice offered to appease the just judgment of God. He made atonement for our wrongs. He paid our debt. He appeased the justice of God. And guess what? Now if you have faith in Him, you get to live. You get to experience life with God now and for eternity when you pass from this life to the next. Truly live. Not an empty shell of a life that we can experience outside of God, but true life raised up with Christ in abundance, in eternity, free from sin. Life with God, life with your Creator, as you were always designed to live. That's why Jesus came. That's why He paid our debt on the cross. Galatians 2.20, Paul says in this beautiful personal statement, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the body, in the flesh, I live through faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus takes your broken, sinful life and he dies. He rises from the dead and gives you his abundant, victorious life. The life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, Christ who lives in me. And friends, despite how hard your week has been, despite what you're facing in your family, despite what eternal struggles and temptations and battles you still have, the life that you have is a life of victory in Christ. That's your true identity. And, and what Jesus did, that act, giving of himself in his death and his resurrection, verse 10 says, that is love. You want to understand the love of God? Understand that. The work of Christ is the very embodiment, the manifestation of love. Jesus laying down his life for us is the pinnacle of our understanding of love. See, love doesn't begin with us loving God. It begins with God loving us and sending his son for us. And John, I think it's good that he makes that point in verse 10. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He, he knows he needs to make that point because, because it's far too easy for humans to think that we need to love God first. We need to obey God first. We need to please God first. And then he will love us in return. And that's the basis of many, many worldviews of traditional religion, of Judaism, of Islam, even legalistic Christianity. But it's, it's wrong. It's the wrong way to think. That's not the gospel. That's not the true teaching of Scripture. God loved us first. It always begins with us. And don't ever think that if I love God today, if I obey God today, if I'm faithful today, God will love me. That's not how it worked when Christ came, and it's not how it works now. This is love. Not that, not that we love God, but that He first loved us. See, God's love is revealed in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so I pray and I hope that your faith is stirred. If you're here this morning and you've never understood that, I would call you to trust, call you to believe, call you to lay down your old way of thinking and acting and believing and trust in God. Trust in the work of Christ and find hope, find forgiveness. Be born again in your heart. And know that that Jesus came to win you. And so we put faith in Him, but, but then we say, okay, now what? Now we've seen the manifestation of love through the sacrifice of Christ. So what? Now what? And we've seen this summer that all of God's attributes have practical impact on us, don't they? That we're learning about God, we're we're studying God, we're knowing Him in relationship, and we are then called to be transformed. You know, when we studied the eternality and the spirituality of God, the call was to be in awe, to live in worship of God. When we looked at His power and His sovereignty, we were called to trust Him. Trust Him in the midst of whatever you're going through because He's sovereign. When we looked at the mercy and patience of God, we were called to soak it in. To give thanks and to seek God for His mercy. To seek God for mercy in your daily life. And this morning, as we look at the love and the grace of God, yes, we receive it. And I hope that you receive it. Yes, you soak it in. Yes, you worship Him because of His great love. But then we must... We must love others. If God is truly loving, if we truly accept and believe and embrace His love, we must love others. We see in verse 11 that God's love drives us to love others. And so again, John says in verse 11, Beloved friends, if God has loved us in this way, we ought to love one another in the same way. We must do this. How can you be loved like this and not love other people? 
Right? It's like the parable that Jesus told about the guy that stood before the judge. He owed hundreds of thousands of dollars before the judge. He and his family were about to be sold into slavery as indentured servants to pay off their debt. The man falls down and begs for mercy. The judge forgives him. Remember this story Jesus told? The guy leaves. He's walking back home. He runs into a guy that owes him a hundred bucks. He grabs the guy around the, around the neck and starts choking him, screaming at him to pay his money. And we hear that parable of Jesus and we think, that's insane. There's no way a person could do that. Could be forgiven hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and then be livid at his friend that owes him a hundred bucks. And John says it's, it's the same thing. How can we know the love of God, be transformed by the love of God, be forgiven of such a great debt, and yet not live in love for others? If God so loved us, we ought to. We must love others in the same way. Verse 12 this is very interesting. Look at verse 12. Brings in, brings in some interesting perspective. John says here, no one's ever seen God. Now, he, he's not getting off topic. He's making a point. He says, nobody has ever seen God. Now, yes, the saints of old saw the angel of the Lord. The nation of Israel saw God manifest in the pillar of fire and cloud. Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock. God passed by, and, and the Hebrew scripture says that he saw the afterburn of God as he went by. But no one has ever truly seen the boundless, eternal, spiritual being of God in fullness. Even Jesus, who came as the exact manifestation, the the exact representation of God's divine nature, was fully God. But yet no one's ever seen God in his his boundless, eternal, spiritual nature. But then John, John says, if we love one another as God loved us, something amazing will happen. If we can grow in this as a community, something amazing is going to happen. God, as we love others, will abide in us. Will we reside in us? Now notice there in verse 12, this is plural. Okay, you can't do this by yourself. It has to be us, the church, the community of of saints together. As God abides in us, His love is perfected in us. That means it's, it's completed. Remember, God is love, and so if God is filling us and we're loving one another, then, then God's love is, is completed, is filled out among us. In fact, verse 13 goes on to say that God has given us His Spirit, the very Spirit, the presence of God living in us individually and as a community, the temple of the living God, and His Spirit living us is, is how we know that God is abiding. The sensing of the, the presence of God, the Spirit of God moving among us. That's how we know that, that God really is among us, that, that He is with us and we are with Him. Now connect that back to, to the beginning of verse 12. John says, no one's ever seen God, but when the Spirit of God and the love of God abides in us, then God's love is brought to its fullest expression, manifested in His people. And we see this kind of God-centered love in His community. It, it, it may only be glimpses. It may seem broken at times, it may seem faint at times, but when this this kind of God-centered love is among us, we see God, the one who is love. John Stott, in his commentary on this passage, said it like this, The unseen God, who once revealed himself in his Son, now reveals himself in his people when they love one another. God's love is made complete in his people. Do you see John's point? You may never fully see God on earth. But as we grow in love, as we abide in love and live in love for one another, 
God's love and in fact God himself is manifest among us. And we see it and the world around us sees it. And again, this has to happen plural. This is us, right? You can't, you can't see this kind of embodiment of love by yourself between you and the Lord. Your faith is not private. This love happens in the, in the Christian community, in the church. And people have testified, and I, and I thought about the ways I've seen and heard testimony of God's love as, as a, a parent dies and people come around you and you witness and experience the love of God. When a child goes into the hospital and you've told me how God's love was made known to you. When people come around to gather and give their time and their energy to do a small thing like help a, a single woman in the church move. Or when people show up to help an elderly couple take care of their yard. Or when we are even right now, today, this morning, praying for our brother at York Hospital, sick with COVID, his wife and four daughters at home, we manifest the love of God. When a woman's cancer comes back and people begin to surround her with love and with grace and with signs of affection and support, the love of God is manifest. When two friends have a tense disagreement about about how they're educating their children and they would otherwise walk away from each other, but yet they persist and they forgive each other, they apologize and they stay friends, that's the love of Christ. When you ask someone in your life group for advice and it's not what you want to hear, but you listen anyway and you love them for it. When two friends who voted differently in the election still get together and take walks together, embody the love of God. And you may say, yeah, but I've I've been hurt by Christians. Or you may say, but my expectations have, I understand that. It's being completed. We're not yet there, but we're growing in grace and in forgiveness and in love and understanding. We're growing together as a Christian community in this church and in the church, capital C, across the world, manifesting the love of God completed in us. And so that's why Jesus on earth, preparing to die, preparing his disciples for him to return back up into heaven. That's why he told his disciples this. First John, excuse me, this is John's gospel, chapter 13. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to, ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, look, the commandment to love has always been amongst God's people. It goes all the way back to Leviticus. He says, but I'm giving you a new commandment because now the model for love has been transformed. You love one another as I have loved you. And by doing that, all people will know that you are my disciples. Because as as the watching world sees our love for one another, uncompromised, unconditional, unimpacted by personal interest, as they see that love, they will know that, that we're disciples of the true and living God. And yes, Jesus is no longer here on earth, but he teaches his disciples this before he leaves and says, look, I'm going to be gone, but you can manifest my presence. The followers of Christ manifesting the presence of God, manifesting the love of God. See, when we live out and display God's love, we display God himself to ourselves, reminding, encouraging, building up our faith and to a watching world. And there are many, many people who have no interest in God, but they see something in the Christian community. They see something in the way that Christians treat one another, and I hope and pray this is true for us. And often people are drawn to Christians before they even want anything to do with Christ, because they see something 
What does it look like to love in this way? Practically, how do we step out and begin to live this way in our homes, in our small groups, in the church, in the community at large, here at Living Hope, with other churches in our network, other churches in our community? Here's my working definition of love. And I've I've been working on this for probably 10 plus years, trying to fine-tune it. I still haven't gotten it right yet, but, but I define love this way. Love is a deep passion a devotion, and affection for another person. Rooted in Christ's love, driving you to sacrifice yourself for their well-being, even when it's not deserved, with no expectation of personal gain. That's what it means for you to love your husband, to love your wife, to love your children, to love your neighbor, to love your church family. Remember, God's love was, is, is revealed to us because He took initiative, right? Right? He, he first loved us. You can keep that definition up for a minute. He first loved us. And so that means, Christian, if you are going to love others, it begins with you. Right? That means that you love the people around you even when it's not deserved. You don't wait until they love you to love them back. You don't wait until you are loved or someone asks you for your love. If we are to reflect God, it means it begins with us. And you say, but my spouse hasn't been nice to me this week, hasn't been in a good mood to me this week. I understand Love them. Love them as God has loved you. It means you give of yourself. And, and, and men, some of us love to serve our wives with those acts of service, and we, and we love to do good things. And we wonder why their hearts are still cold and hard and, and why they still don't give us their time and energy. Brothers, if your wife's love language is not acts of service, she could care less how many times you unload the dishwasher and, and, and fold the laundry. Well, that's not true. She'll appreciate it. But she may not feel loved. Because maybe what she wants from you is physical affection or acts of service or quality time. See, to be loving is not just your words, it's not just your deeds, it's not just external actions, it's to give of yourself. God's love means He gives of Himself to us, and so we give of ourselves deeply, fully, wholly to the people around us. And sometimes the people that it's hardest to do that with are the people that live at your same mailing address, right? And we can be loving and we, and we can volunteer all day long to help the person in need around us. And we'll give our lives for the people in our homes. But will we live for the people in our homes? Give of yourself. And remember this, that if God is in you, it's ultimately not yourself you're giving them, it's you're giving them God. Right? If, if Christ is in you and filling you with the Holy Spirit, as you give of yourself to others, you're giving them God. The only one who truly is love. And to love means that your love is free, that there are no strings attached. As our definition says, there's no expectation of personal gain. I have to confess that with my children, that the personal gain that I want and my love for them is I want their respect and their attention and their devotion and their obedience. And, and when they're being difficult, I find it difficult to love them. But, but yet, I'm, I'm commanded by God to love as He has loved me with no expectation of personal gain or or reward or benefit. A friend told me this week that, that he and his wife are in the worst time in the history of their marriage. He said their communication is horrible. What, what does this brother need? Does he need communication strategies? Does he need, does he need counseling and, and, and therapy and, 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 and marital you know, uh, tactics? Maybe some of that can help. But at the end of the day, he needs to step up and to love his wife first, to forgive his wife, and to be sacrificial and to, to embody and to love as, as Christ has loved him. 
you know, we're all faced with this reality that, that we all hoped COVID was going to go away, you know, last spring and then maybe June and, and well, definitely by the fall, right? And now our community is being torn apart as, as, as convictions about vaccines and about masks and about, about school policies and, and work policies and store, the signs are starting to go back up in stores, Right? And I don't know about you, but I've heard some visceral things in our, in our community, critical and judgmental, being torn apart as, as people's patience, right? And COVID fatigue has now turned into like COVID, like I'm going crazy. Listen, listen, if we as the body of Christ can be different, in the midst of our, of our different convictions, in the midst of our, our different positions and, and ways to handle, if we can show forgiveness and love, if we can show grace towards one another, if we can sacrifice towards one another, in the midst of a, of a country that is becoming increasingly divided, of a community that is becoming increasingly hostile towards friends and neighbors, do, do you know, do you realize the impact that that will have on a watching world? Because they are watching whether you have a bumper sticker on the back of your car or not, when you name the name of Christ, people see and people notice the way you talk about one another, the way we talk about our governing authorities, the way we talk about people with whom we disagree. What would the church look like if we truly grew in love? God, give us grace. God, give us grace to walk in your love. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us some real, real practical direction on what love looks like. And this is not just a marriage verse. What, what is love? Well, it's patient. It, it is so easy to love people for two seconds. But true love is patient to love, to love an irritating spouse all week long, right? What, what is love? The Word of God says love is kindness. It's being gracious and generous and, and giving to your children. What, what is loving? It, it's, not, it's not being envious. That means when, when a friend, when a neighbor gets a raise, gets a promotion, their spouse is healed, their finances are blessed, you're not envious. You celebrate with them. What, what is it to be loved? It means not boasting. See, when you're, when you're boasting, you're throwing it in somebody else's face. Look at what I have and you don't. I'm better than you, and I'm going to push you down to push myself up. That's not loving, the Scriptures say. What, what is love? It's not envy. It's not boasting. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not those little, those little dismissive side comments. You say, well, I'm just joking. You know what? My mom used to say, behind every joke is a little bit of truth, right? And sarcasm might be funny. It might, it might break the tension, but it also might undermine somebody. And tear them down. See, to be loving is not to be rude. It does not insist on its own way. Friends, I have to confess this morning that my way of doing things is always right. I mean, isn't that how we feel? You know? The way that the dinner should be cooked and the dishwasher should be loaded, the way the kids should be parented, the way the car should be parked in the driveway, right? The way your coworker should should manage that proposal. But, but to be loving does not insist on its own way. Now look, that doesn't mean you can't be helpful and you can't offer input and you can't graciously come along some, somebody and give an alternating perspective. But it means you don't insist for your own selfish gain to make you happy, to build yourself up in pride. You're not insisting on your own way. That's not loving, the Scriptures say. 
It's not irritable. Lack of sleep, stressful jobs, long commute, stressful, anxious news make us irritable. And there's one way and only one way to overcome that irritability. Well, maybe two ways. You could move to another planet or you could say, God, give me grace. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. The scriptures say love is is not resentful. You don't resent someone for how they've wronged you five years ago. You don't resent somebody because they treated you difficult in a difficult way and then they're successed and blessed. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You don't rejoice when somebody else is, is, has done wrong and gotten caught with it. You're not thinking, well, they got what they deserve. It rejoices with the truth. We rejoice with the truth of God, the grace of God, the gospel of God at work in our community. God's general grace and mercy in the world around us. What is love? Love bears all things. Full of God's love, you can bear with anything. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. That means despite what goes on, on a micro and on a macro scale, we are people of hope, people of faith, who believe and trust in the promises of God. Love endures all things. We can endure through it all because Christ rose from the dead. And the very Spirit of of God that rose Him from the dead now lives in us. How will He not also give life to our mortal bodies, Romans 8 says. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And you read that and you think, no way, no way. I give myself four and a half minutes. I won't even make it to five minutes to live this out. Yes, of course. That's why Jesus came. Because we can't love this way on our own. This is supernatural. It must be supernatural. And so thank God we have His supernatural presence residing in us. The God who is love has filled you through faith in Christ. He has crucified your sinful nature. And you can now love as He has loved you. What is the love and grace of God? It's an acknowledgement that God is love, the source of all love. God's love is revealed in the sacrifice of Jesus, perfectly manifesting the ultimate pinnacle expression of God's love. And God's love drives us to love others. You see, I snuck in a fourth point up there. In love, God comes out to each of us. And and I just want to close with this this morning. I I want us to, to, to get this picture of God in His love coming out to you. Wherever you are, whatever place you find yourself in this morning God in his love coming out specifically to you and to help you understand this I want to tell you a story it's a story that we all know well but it's worth hearing again the story that Jesus told about this wealthy father and this father has two sons and together they run this huge successful farming estate but one day the younger son comes to his father and he's sick he's sick of living under the His father's household, contributing to the family estate. He's an adult now. He wants to be on his own. And so he asked his father, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance. I want to go out on my own. I'm done living with you and under you and for you. And his father 
grants his request, gives him half of everything that he owns, and the, the, the son moves away to a far-off country. The older son stays with the father, continues to help run the family farm. But the younger son, he cannot wait, can't wait to get out on his own, to make the most of his newfound wealth and his freedom. And this guy parties hard. He explores every form of worldly pleasure. Finally, after years of waiting, finally out from underneath of his father's rule and care and expectations and workload. And this guy lives recklessly. He does everything under the sun, squanders everything that he has. He's drinking and he's visiting prostitutes and he's loving it. He's enjoying it. But eventually he spends everything. And all that his father gave him is now gone and he's dead broke and with no way to live. He goes and he hires himself out to a job feeding the pigs. And one day he's laying in the mud feeding the pigs in poverty, unable to really even make enough to feed himself. And he finally says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to crawl back to my father. I'm going to walk back home. I'll just admit to my dad that I've rebelled, that I've mistreated him. I'll admit, you know what, dad, you would be right to disown me. And I'm not expecting to be your son. All I want to do is to have a job as your hired hand to make enough that I don't starve to death. And so he plans to go home and to beg to be brought back in as an employee on the estate. And so he walks home. For days and days he's walked. He finally gets near to the family estate. And the father, who we suspect has been looking, the father off in the distance sees his son. And he knows that silhouette. He knows the gait of his son. And he knows it's him. And so the father runs leaves his home and runs out to meet him. And overwhelmed with compassion, the father goes out to him, hugging him, kissing him. Now the son's trying to launch into his pre-prepared speech. Dad, I don't deserve to be your son. The father wants nothing to do with it. He, he won't even listen to his son. He, he's so overwhelmed with, with joy and with, and with love and he calls the servants. He says, put the robe on him. Slaughter the cow. We're going to have a bull roast. We're going to invite the neighbors. We're going to celebrate the son that was lost and now has been found. And so they're having this huge celebration. The older son the whole time, faithful, dedicated, he's out in the field working hard. He comes home at dusk after a long day's work and he sees and hears the party. He asks the servants, what in the world's going on? And they say, your brother's back. He's immediately filled with anger and resentment and bitterness. And he says, my father is doing that for my brother, the one who took half of our family wealth and squandered it on whores and, and drinking. Now he's back and dad's forgiven him. Dad's celebrating with him and he's standing outside the party, refusing to even go in, refusing to even say hi to his brother, even to speak his mind to his father. He's fuming. Now his father hears about this. Don't miss this. You know what his father does? His father leaves the party. His father, again, goes out to the older son. And he pleads with him, come in, come celebrate with us. This brother of yours that was lost, that was as good as dead, has come back. But the older brother, again, is so filled with bitterness, he's standing outside the party now, arguing with his father. How can you welcome him back? How can you throw a party after all that he did? For years, Dad, I've stood by your side. I've served you, I've worked hard, I've obeyed your every command, and you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with a few of my friends. But again, the father pleads, don't you see? Don't you see, son, the great blessing that you've had all these years? You've always been with me. But your brother left. He was lost on the brink of death and now he's found. But all along you've been with me. All along, all that I own is yours. 
This parable is one of the most vivid, one of the most emotional, emotional stories that Jesus ever told because it demonstrates the amazing love and grace of a father toward his sons. Profoundly demonstrating the heavenly father's love and grace towards his sons and daughters, towards you and I. See, there was one son who was living in another country. The other was living right on the estate, but they were both lost. Both ultimately were separated from their father. The younger son had run away in sinful rebellion, while the older son, he didn't run anywhere, he just turned inward toward bitter self-righteousness. But at the center of the story is not either boy, at the center of the story is the father's unending love and grace as he goes out to both of his sons. He doesn't let the younger son even finish his walk home in shame. He runs out to him in forgiveness and grace. He doesn't let the older son stand outside of the celebration in frustration. He goes out to him in compassion and love. And so we see the love of our Heavenly Father for you and I. See it and hear it and receive it this morning. God coming out to you. God's love coming out to each of us. And whether you're here this morning and and, and you are the younger son caught in sinful rebellion or whether you identify with that older son caught in bitter self-righteousness, God's love drives him to run out to you. And he will love you first. He will come to you when you want nothing to do with him, when you're standing outside refusing to go in. He will come to you when, when it's all that you can do to take a step back toward him, begging in shame. He'll embrace you and He'll love you, and He'll invite you into His celebration, His abundant love, and the grace, and the peace, and the mercy of God now, and eternal life in the future. This is love, not that we love God. Friends, He loved us. He gave of Himself for us. And so the worship team is going to come, and we're going to turn our heart back to the Lord. We're going to surrender ourselves to the Lord. John will say in chapter 3 of his epistle, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we, we who don't deserve it, who didn't want it, should be called children of God. Stand and pray with me. Father, I pray this morning for those that that can't believe this. They can't believe that there is a God. Or they can't believe that if there is a God, He would want anything to do with them. I pray that You would humble them and stir them to faith. Those, God, who, who carry such a weight of guilt and shame that they could never look You in the eyes. Father, go to them and lift their head and, and speak Your words of forgiveness and, and love and grace. Father, for those that that stand in self-righteousness, in bitterness, in defiance, thinking you owe them because of their service to you, Father, would you come out to them and wash them with your grace and with your love? Give us faith this morning, Lord, to believe, to know, to walk with the God who is love and stir us, Father, compel us, drive us to love our families to love the Christian community, to love the world as you have loved us. Father, we receive your love and as a result, we surrender ourselves to you. Ones who are unworthy, we surrender ourselves to you. Ones who are overwhelmed, we surrender ourselves to you. Ones who are awed and will spend eternity worshiping, giving praise and thanks to your lavish love, your lavish 
grace in Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us now.